Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Overthinkers. I'm Rachel. And I'm Shan. How are you doing today, Shan? I'm pretty good. I'm watching a beautiful moonset. It's just like oh. a stunning, like very orange crescent just going through the skyline of New York. It's pretty cool. I remember it blew my mind thinking about the fact that the moon was actually out during the day when I was a kid. Um, totally never thought about a lot of those things. It is pretty cool, the connection you have to the universe when you can see a a non-terrestrial body during the day. It, it gives you a different sense of scope of, oh, it really is there. It's not just a night sky issue. So I agree. It's always been pretty cool, I find. No, I agree. Before we get into our topics today, I think we have two significant announcements for our um, audience. The first is, I think this might be our first ever correction um, from our previous episode, which was around, you know, the relevancy of CMOs. Are they able to have the type of impact that they have? And I think there was a lot of questioning of like specific actors, but uh, unsurprisingly, our friend at Forbes, Seth Matlins, reached out to talk about a couple of things because I called out the um, the the Fortune top marketers list. The Forbes. Forbes. I'm so sorry. Um, see, I'm getting corrections on our correction. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's primarily based on the top 100 advertisers, and that's not in and of itself a representative sample. Um, of course, also in talking about tenure, the average is much closer to 48 months than 18. Um, so again, I know that we were kind of talking off the cuff in those moments, but I think, oh, it's important to also add that correction there. Mm. And Shan, do you want to share our second half of sure. our special announcement? Um, so this is episode 192, <clears throat> which is a pretty big achievement. Considering when I said that, I was like, yeah, maybe we'll do 2030. Um, so very excited about the fact we're getting close to the 200. But also a bit of, you know, personal news that the 200th episode will be our last episode together. Um, I think this has been a, a few fun, what, four years now almost, I think. Yeah. Um, that we've been doing this. And I think the the principle behind the Overthinkers was... Something short, something where you know the hosts and where we know each other and we get to uh, debate, sometimes disagree, um, and uh, but also from people who are in the trenches. And the truth is, you know, we've kind of changed a little bit careers over the past two years. Four years. <laughs> and, uh, and just four years. Well, we'll be, we'll be pretty close still. But um, And it's not like we're lacking opinion, but also, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how that goes. We're also parents and it's just going to be different. Uh, 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 set up for us so this is going to be the last nine episodes basically so we're hoping to maybe do something a bit special we try to have more guests it might be a little bit less regular in terms of how often you're going to have episodes just because having guests on the podcast is sometimes a bit more complicated from a diary perspective um, but uh, yeah it will will it'll be the end of a big chapter for the both of us and I think for a few of you listening and we have some of you not too many let's be honest but we have quite a few of you uh, who I know listen on a quite regular basis. So uh, we'll have plenty of chances to kind of think about those last nine questions and those those future guests we're going to have on the podcast. But uh, yeah, just wanted to announce that that's going to be pretty much it for Rachel and Shan. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see what the future holds for the both of us, uh, if there's going to be other adventures. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a really fun journey and we're looking forward to the last nine. It'll it'll be another podcast just about products and technology and not necessarily yeah. marketing so much anymore. I imagine that, so. Maybe, maybe we're just overthinking a completely different 
topics that the overdoers i don't know no that's just (laughs) yeah just just overwrought every single piece but while we're still in our topic space i do think we have a good debate to have today which is um do we think that first party data is going to save digital advertising in the way that it's kind of always promised and shan i would love for you to open Uh, your response on this. And I think also doing the friendly reminder for our listeners of the differences between first party data, second party data, and third party data while we get into uh, that as well. Cool. Um, So just first party data is the data that you as a publisher or advertiser own on your customers, uh, the people you've engaged in your advertising and whatnot. So this is really the data sets that you've had a connection with somebody that left a trace in your data lake and it's kind of becoming yours. Second party data is uh, technically publisher first party data that you buy. So if Amazon has um, data on their users and you're buying advertising on Amazon, this is going to be a second party data as in you borrow theirs to make it work, but it's still within their ecosystem. And third party data is when somebody else, let's say a network has data on people and sells that data to you. Now there's been a lot of conversations about um, first party data over the past few years in great part because of the fact that the cookies are supposed to go away at some point. Um, it's been announced for a little while now. I was still in the industry when that was announced to be happening within a year, so clearly it's been a bit delayed. But the the fact that you know third-party data is going to be less and less accessible has pushed brands to figure out what's going to happen and how do you make your marketing efforts really relevant and targeted in the world of digital advertising where targeting is basically the entire name of the game. And so... You know, when I think about this, um, I I was in the media world for a long time, as you know, Rachel. Um, it's been a very long uh, promise that first-party data was going to be the holy grail for brands in the future. And I've always been a bit skeptical of it. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem with the first-party data, I always thought, and many in the media world will disagree with me, by the way, um, and will very happily tell you why first-party data really is the thing that's going to solve things. I think conceptually speaking, I understand the fact that building your own data lake of consumers is useful um, and having access to that data makes it much easier for you to target things. There is also the entire concept that, you know, with when you can do ID matching, where you can say, look, this is the types of customers that I have. Can you go to another platform and say, target similar people based on the profiles that I've got? So it allows you to basically give a good sense of what you're trying to do um, and who you're trying to reach. Uh, as an advertiser. And conceptually, I can definitely see, um, in theory, the value why every advertiser wants to have first-party data. It's, you know, customers you do know that you have in your systems and, you know, you're willing to engage with that, you know, have left a trace that is strong enough for you to understand a little bit more about what they want or what they might want from you. Um, And also enables you to activate other data platforms a bit better by bringing your own data sets. So conceptually, I think it makes complete sense. And I can see merit in having investments in it the problem is i think that this is the 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 basic problem with advertising and targeting is that targeting people you have had engagements with has limits um because by definition you know you can have always trying to expand the people you're trying to have in your network and your systems and you know trying to go after the non-users is a big big function of advertising and so trying to think that first-party data is going to solve everything, for me, 
can be quite short-sighted when we try to follow the core principles of how good targeting works. And I don't think it's completely essential for companies to have crazy good first-party data to work. And there's an extra layer to that, and then I'll pass over to you, Rachel, to understand you know, what you think here. But it's also the fact that there is great inequality between categories when it comes to the ability to get first-party data and the merit of having it. Mm-hmm. So if you're an airline where most people who use airlines at some point have to go through you and give you data, I can see that, you know, great. Um, There is a lot of merit to this. And, you know, you're going to capture a pretty sizable part of the market, especially if you could find ways and agreements maybe to share between airlines. And, you know, let's say a one world cookie or ID would be quite powerful because you capture most of the people who fly at some point through the the world. but if you're an FMCG company, for instance, like, you know, that's selling, you know, cereal bars and where your engagement is mostly limited to whoever you've had targeting your advertising at some point, eh, it's fine. I just don't know that you're going to get the returns that justify the squeeze of organizing your entire data lake, spending millions of dollars and mm-hmm. setting that up, cleaning it up. And basically, he's just like, at the end of the day, you're better off not overthinking the targeting in many, many instances. So finding out a business model that makes it worthwhile having first-party data and possible becomes the name of the game. And sometimes I worry that brands kind of steer a bit too much in the direction of thinking that their job is to have that kind of relationship with customers. That is the only valuable, valid way to grow nowadays. And it's not, in my opinion. So I'm, I to answer the question of the podcast, bluntly, I don't think it's going to save digital advertising. Um, if anything, I think what's going to save digital advertising is probably less reliance on targeting. Mm-hmm. No, I'm absolutely with you there. And I do think that a lot of this first party data narrative came out of an era where either like the only place to really focus on doing a bunch of digital advertising was going to be your your Facebooks or your Googles of the world where like nothing was going to be in your control and like everything <laughs> was taken away. Um, but I think what it didn't actually account for was going to be the rise of more relevant platforms that offered a wider variety of, um, of sort of like advertising and shopper marketing. So like very good recent examples are the fact that like DoorDash just IPO'd this week, a very significant portion of DoorDash's revenue comes from advertising what is that a great advertising platform for FMCGs again, exactly the type of company that I would say like three or four years ago was absolutely like salivating over like a lot of this first party discussion, but without necessarily any real rationale for why it would get there. And I also don't think that anyone was really predicting that a lot of these platforms would pop up. And I do think that there's, something really advantageous to the fact that a lot of these companies are also becoming in a lot of ways, media businesses, right? So um, Walmart has recently started to extend and use a lot of their platform to become an advertising business. We already are very aware of the size of uh, Amazon's additional advertising revenue. We see it in both Uber and Lyft where they're starting to do it from like a, a delivery and services perspective. And then there's even, and again, like selfishly talking about my own category for a bit, you know, there's platforms like Cardlytics or Rakuten, which talk about uh, transaction-based 
uh, information and really can like drive things through to conversion at a different level. And so I think what we're starting to see is far more valuable second party um, data sources that have like really true measurements in, in specific ways that like a savvy media planner could could really start to uh, like activate against. Um, but I agree that like trying to capture a bunch of emails to clean up all of that data to try and like match that to um, some type of PII, whether it's through Axiom or whatever else is like, it feels like a, a exhausting exercise in um, many, many ways. And to what you said, I'm not sure if the juice is necessarily worth the squeeze. Again, for what I would say is like, most brands and categories, anything from like travel through to automotive through to FMCG in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, and I think the, the key word that's for me killing the question is, is saving. Like, I think this is for me, the, the big part of, is it really saving the digital advertising industry? This is where it becomes a bit more strong in my opinion that it's the, the answer is going to be no. And this is where mm -hmm. I sometimes I'm a bit weirded out by people saying, well, yes. And very often I find people who are peddling this are very, very much love skin in the game when it comes to data targeted advertising, whether it's agencies mm -hmm. or programmatic networks or whatever, like there, a lot of folks are going to talk to you about this and, you know, the bit, some of them are very happy to charge you to build those things and their skill sets and, it's, it's, I mean, even the likes of PNG, I've talked a lot about first party data to my surprise. I mean, I can see some categories where it makes sense and uh, within PNG, but I'm just not sure it's going to apply to all. I think there is a, the thing that's really big question in my mind is a lot of them have been talking at some point about how their businesses, if they were not compatible with the first party data approach was basically doomed. Um, and that's for me, like, that's a, it's a, it's a really interesting strategic read, you know, cause there, there is really this belief sometimes. And I've heard people from big FMCG companies say that, um, from some of the, the, the big ones, like the Unilevers or the PNGs, mm -hmm. they just, they've really, they've really thought like, you know what, just that if that's not a business where we can have a customer relationship that allows us to capture first party data, maybe it's not a business we want to keep. And that, that's something that I, I'm kind of puzzled by as in like a, I, I feel like we're, 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 we're trying to identify a sole model of growth, which I don't know is going to remain true and is not completely necessary for things to work. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a real question in my mind. And on top of that, I think most brands do a terrible job with the first party that they have. Um, generally speaking, I, I don't know if it's a problem of ethos, the technology is still not being there, but there's not many brands that have my first party that handle it well. Um, they sell me things that I've already bought. They're just, you know, the, the frequency is too high. Like it's just, there's, it, I find like it's triggering all sorts of sins that are not in favor of either the relationship, um, nor the experience that they provide. And so that, that makes me nervous to, to see people seeing such a, a high value in something that ultimately is not probably super necessary for the business to operate for a sustainable amount of time. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, I, I think it's also one of those things that maybe now with distance from the industry, I'm also able to see it because I do remember having clients at an FMCG side saying, you know, 
how can we, let's use a bad example, like how can we establish a relationship with new parents? Because once they have babies, that opens a whole new line of products that we can start to have there. And there's plenty of like, you know, baby hubs and those types of things. But like, does a customer actually want to transact with you at like an exclusively portfolio level or whatever around these products? Like, a lot of there's not a whole lot of there there anymore. It's not necessarily aligned with consumer behaviors in a lot of ways, and um, and oftentimes because a lot of these like infrastructures and builds tend to be trailing behind consumer behaviors. I can't even I don't even want to like think about the amount of investment that went into these things when it's like five years behind the curve. So you've built something to be out of date. Oh, it's really bad. I mean, maintaining those things. I mean, look again. If you're an airline, I get it. Um, you know, and, absolutely. And yeah. It's 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 a probably a different ball game, but like for most companies, it's just. I mean, I've worked a lot, across a lot of categories. It's just not pointless. Something is pointless, but very expensive, very very resource intensive. Took a lot of brain space from a lot of folks around CMOs included and whatnot, mm-hmm. and you know. I still remain convinced that at the end of the day, if you if if I'm running a brand, it's not like I'm anti-data. I run a data company. I run. I I launched a data company, so I like data. But I'd much rather find ways to get to interesting truth, interesting insights, interesting creative executions that make me stand out than having the best data lake in the world. It it just my parties would much rather be on that aspect and. Let me be clear that I do think that that disqualifies me from a lot of companies to even think this nowadays. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of companies where that would be heretical or seen as like, yeah, you're kind of a dinosaur. Um, the You know, like we discussed last week on the Scott Galloway thing, like, you know, you're much more in the supply chain management and you need to think a little bit more like this. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. Um, I think, you know, there there's more to it. And and I it, it makes me a bit sad to an extent. And maybe it's because I'm a dinosaur. But uh, <laughs> with no hair and <laughs> a little bit left, that's gray. But like, you know, it makes me a bit sad that I feel like we've kind of moved so much towards this idea that we need saving from the lack of types of targeting in in this new world. It's just like, uh, instead of like realizing that most of the content we create as advertising sucks mm-hmm. and fixing that would be a much bigger priority, in my opinion, to stand out and say interesting things than, you know, betting my entire success and career and bonus on, yeah, I've built you the best that they like. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm projecting here, but I assume that part of the original view for first-party data, quote-unquote, saving digital advertising is that there used to be really significant revenues, both from like a production standpoint and an attention standpoint around things like, you know, and YouTube still has this arguably, which is like, you can still buy a YouTube takeover yeah. <laughs> for a million well, dollars. It's sold in a much more targeted fashion now, to be fair. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I, I do think that there was a while where it, you know, if we're getting in- ever increasing banner blindness, if we have ever increasing ad blockers, how are we ever going to reach our customers? The best way to do it is to reach out to them. But I, I also ascribe to the notion of like, you know, a lot of 
the first party data that you do gather is your existing customers that are already yeah. within reach that have already opted into you. That largely feels like remarketing efforts, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily help to grow your category at all. And again, I do think that some of the second party platforms where we are seeing a lot of growth, whether it is DoorDash or Uber or Rakuten or whatever else are driving uh, trial adoption preference things that a lot of your classic like Byron Sharp or brand building things can help you do as well. No, I mean, it's at the end of the day, there are lookalike systems that allow you to go beyond your own set. That's usually the the, the spiel. It's like, hey, mm -hmm. have your first party look like it and we'll just find other people just like them. Um, and, you know, it, it has merit. But I think you're you're absolutely right. Like at the end of the day, you know, the the real game is still, in my opinion, second party data is the mm -hmm. fact you can walk into some ecosystems that have very specific ways to target their users that will know them probably much better than you on self do um and you know the reality is whether we like it or not there has been a huge concentration of power for digital platforms and a handful of platforms help you reach a fuck ton of people and you know once you've placed your bets with the instagrams youtubes amazons walmart you know doordash the big usual suspects and doordash i know is a much smaller player but like really you've kind of able to reach a lot of people already and that second party data is being strong and i know the argument for first party data is like don't entirely depend on them and whatnot but that's the dynamics it's a for me kind of sounds a bit similar to the whole argument that we should be dtc because it has to be about you owning the relationship and one day people woke up with a bit of a hangover wait a minute dtc is so expensive it's not profitable and they realize, well, there's a reason why we have retailers in the first place. And they're kind of happy to go back to the retailers. It's, and I mm -hmm. feel like there's a little bit of that going on in the first party. I feel like we're reliving mm -hmm. the little bit, the, the DTC aspect and narrative. And we're confusing the wood for the trees a little bit here. And that there's a reason why Amazon's second party will always be super valuable unless someone takes down Amazon, which could happen if a longer time frame. But there are still going to be a lot of ecosystems that are going to be super valuable and I'd be pretty happy to rely on most of them as far as advertising is concerned. Yeah. Well, I think that's the lesson. I mean, it's the most classic uh, misappropriated quote, but it's like there's two business models, bundling and unbundling. And I think what happens is everyone chases the unbundling, forgetting that like bundling was there in the first place for a reason. So bundling was retailers and it's not like there's a threshold at which I'm going to get a subscription service for my vitamins, my meals, and my razors. Like it's not going to apply <laughs> to every single uh, thing, but yeah, we, you know, that's the agony and the ecstasy of being in, in the advertising industry though. Right. Is like you kind of get caught up in this trend chasing game without necessarily, and this could be a whole other podcast around like strategists understanding how to, uh, catch a wave or communicate a trend, but understanding like a lot of the business fundamentals is something that has, has been broken uh, for a long time. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think this is uh, about time. All right. At time. Good to see you, Rachel. Oh, it's good to see you, Shan. For our dear listeners, if you have any questions that you want us to answer in our nine remaining episodes. This is your last chance, really. This is your last chance. You better let us know.
Yeah. And uh, if you have any corrections to give us, <laughs> you let us know, maybe <laughs> a second correction before we, we tune out. Um, I'm sure there's a few of you in here who are big programmatic people who will probably have plenty of opinions on first party data. We'd love to hear them as well. And um, yeah. Shannon and I are no longer on Twitter. So the only place to find us is wet threads and LinkedIn. If you do have corrections, <laughs> comments, notes. Yeah, probably LinkedIn is a better place. I, I mean, I do check threads maybe once a week, but uh, I can't say I found the vibrancy I'm looking for on threads just yet. So yeah, it's uh, too we'll messy, see. too yeah. messy. Look at us getting old and dull and just you know, know. switching off and moving on to looking Let after eight. our kids. Yeah. Ugh, Jesus, useless. Useless. I, the underthinkers is how we should remember the last nine episodes. <laughs> I'm with you there. All right. All right. Thank you, Shan. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye, Rachel. Bye.